Welcome everyone to the Derdish Show. Place to sit back, relax, and enjoy a good conversation. I'm so excited for our guests today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Please, guys, introduce yourself. Sure. Um, I'm Hassa. Um, I'm a lighting designer. I'm a freelancer lighting designer. And um, we're doing this awesome podcast together. So I'm going to. Yeah. Um, my name is Ghadir, and I'm handling the marketing aspect. Uh, and I'm a freelancer in marketing. Um, and I'm so glad to be on board with them. <laughs> nice. I'm Reem. I recently moved back to Kuwait. I'm an urban planner, kind of, to a degree. <laughs> nice. Welcome to the Derdish Show, a place to sit back, relax, and enjoy a good conversation. And how'd you guys get together? And how'd you guys meet? Um, that's very interesting. Um, me, pretty much Ghadir brought us all together. Um, so me and Ghadir met through a mutual friend and then that's where we kind of hit it off. And then um, we went uh, to a dance, uh, to a yoga class and I met Reem through Ghadir. So, and then we just had a nice conversation over smoothies. <laughs> and we, um, yeah, we came up with this awesome idea of like a podcast. Um, counter culture so um, I'm really excited to talk about it because I'm also excited to just work on it and just bring it to society so um, yeah it's funny she brought us together too right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. well I'm um, like you know as a networker that's what I do on the daily but but the the, the really interesting part is um, I Reem had just came back and she wanted to do something like I was like Reem I can meet you after yoga she's like oh how about I come to yoga and I'm like okay then join and then Hissa was coming and I was like okay I'm so glad like two of my friends are going to be at yoga class and then as soon as we sat and had smoothies they both had this idea for the longest time ever really and they both wanted to do it so they discussed it. I was like, wow, what are the odds of like them thinking of the same thing and then meeting by coincidence through me? I mean, like it's 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 a stroke of luck, but it's like I I didn't do anything. They they had this and it brought them together. It was their calling kind of way. You know, nice. Like. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, I don't believe in coincidence. There's no such thing as coincidence. Yeah. yeah. You don't believe in it? No. I think yeah, things um, happen the way they're supposed to happen, when okay. they're supposed to happen, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, if I would have launched Dedish a year ago, I wouldn't have known the people I've known. I wouldn't have had the experience. So I think it's just perfect for everything happening. That's true. So let me know a little bit about more about the podcast. What is it going to be about? And Okay. Um, yeah. So the reason we even thought of this is, so like here I am, I just came back from Kuwait and then Hesso is abroad for a while, Ghadir has been here, and I, every time I come back the past few times, I'm very pleasantly surprised, just because there's just so much happening. And like when I w- went to high school here, there was like all these cultural events, all these like yoga studios like just didn't exist. Yes. And so it's, there's like this cultural explosion happening. Um, and yet, we were talking about how like it seems like in some ways, social norms are still a bit, like are, aren't moving as quickly. Um, at least our impression of them. And so we don't know if there's like, and, and you see there's public discussions happening like um, everywhere, like the Nagashna and like um, cross-culture duaniya, like all these things happening. And and so we were starting to wonder if there's any 
way that we can like discuss these in a way that like can widen the community you know and that like people can access it and people can so that we can become active proponents of this kind of cultural evolution that's happening alongside like all the, these new events and things like that nice i don't know if you guys um, we kind of want to dissect social issues that people don't really talk about, um, especially with our generation right now. Um, the role models that you have, the, the mentors that you have, are not there yet. Like, your, let's say your mentors are your, your family, and you're going through issues in your life that your parents have not been through because of what's happening right now culturally and socially. And so... We want to bring out that issues and we want to talk about it because like, a lot of people um, a lot of people want to get a solution of stuff, but they don't they don't know who to talk to. They don't know who to approach. So because I talk to a lot of people and they have the same issues. So I was like, I think that's why I want to do a podcast. I want to help the society. I want to help the culture. I want to open their eyes um, as all of us, actually, um, as uh, counterculture so um, I want to benefit society through that through our experiences that we went through um, that there is a voice there is someone um, talking about those issues uh, we want to find a solution for those issues um, and we want the 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 culture they're intelligent to get to where everything is in the entrepreneurial um, way, in the marketing way, and all of that, where we want our, the culture to be in the same way. So, um, that makes sense beautifully put. Yeah. I love that. And I love the fact that you mentioned how a lot of our parents don't know what we're going through because this phase is new. Yeah. yeah, and I also believe that it gives people um, a, a space where they can share perspectives and hear different perspectives because everywhere else it's either like um, being uh, maintained in a certain way, like um, we want to talk about the things that are, are unspoken in a way and, and the way basically anyone can make a change is by being a part of the change. So we're, we're helping people make the change toward like cultural issues by by discussing things and finally talking about it and i think that's the way to solve anything and it's not like we're providing people solutions we're just paving the way to actually help them find the solutions you know and and this would happen by collectively speaking about issues that we go through daily but we can't discuss it anywhere because it's not supposed to be mentioned can you discuss it here <laughs> so yeah, we, we we can discuss a couple yeah. of topics that we've been um, thinking about um, within within the episodes and stuff. We've got a lot of topics to talk about. We have the double standards that happen in Kuwait, the racism. We've got um, self-image, um, love and respect, and just communication, basic communication that um, people don't really respect or understand um, so those are the things that we want to kind of shed shed some light to and I'm, I'm really excited <laughs> and uh, I'm curious is there anything that like you consider a social issue in Kuwait that you wish was talked about more oh, yeah. like what give us <laughs> like an, an example like a juicy example um, you mentioned self-image <laughs> and um, I've been doing a lot of research in terms of yeah, any social media influencers and their effect on um, the younger generation because I have sisters that are 
one is a teenager and the other one is around 22 now. And I realized that it caught the generation right before mine because 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds are starting to realize how their self-image is, is being affected by social media in general. Um, so yeah, that's I think a huge topic that we can just talk about for days. What do you guys think? from your perspective? A lot of things. Um, about the self-image and, and teenagers, I've got a lot of cousins that are really affected by it, and I see it. And it, it, it kind of kills me, because like when I was 13, I wasn't thinking what they were thinking, or I wasn't worried about what they're worried about right now. I mean, I had a kind of routine. I was um, a rifle shooter athlete in the national shooting team, so I was busy with that. Wow, thanks for the heads up, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't busy about how I looked like or how my hair was or how my body was. I, was. I was busy doing other stuff. So I think people should stop thinking about all of the the social media influencers are doing and like just focus more on themselves on developing themselves and accomplishing things for them more than anything else um but yeah self-image is one of the biggest uh self-image and self-worth is one of the biggest things that we actually want to tap into um we have We've got the double standards that both female and male um, worry about. It's okay for a male to do this, but not for a female. Um, Can you give examples? Examples. Let's get juicy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you want to get like super deep into this? Yeah, let's okay. Get, let's make it, let's make it, let's make it no problem. Um, one of the things that was an issue uh, was as a girl studying abroad. It was okay for like males to be abroad, and it's fine. But for women, because I like left Kuwait when it was two thousand and nine, not wow. yeah, like it was just it's super early. Yeah. I was sixteen, seventeen years old, and it was a it wasn't a thing that people do. Like people would look down on me, like oh, you're going abroad by yourself, like. No, that's not a thing, but I, I did it anyways. And now when I came back to Kuwait, everyone is going abroad. Yep. So like people kind of, yeah, paved the way for other people to actually be like, okay, yeah, I want to do that. Um, what else do we have? Like double standards? Yeah, what's a good example? Um, I think we can talk about relationships maybe or even dating like it's okay for a guy to date a lot of girls or like to be uh, actively openly dating but if a girl mentions that she's dating in certain circles it's not it's not cool and or like even even like let alone her parents knowing that but if they do know that oh uh, our son is talking to someone then it's fine but if the girl is talking to someone then hell no you know mm -hmm. and i think it also goes to a lot of things like curfews and all of that like um, in most kuwaiti houses there is a curfew for a lady because they're uh, they see it as a form of protect protection but then at the end of the day also we don't think of the consequences that we cause by such a double standard um it's it's basically creating like oh this this side of the world that we want to explore or like maybe we're wondering why why we can't be late even though like sometimes we wouldn't be even late doing anything bad you know and at the end of the day if you go out at 11 or like 
past 11, you'll see that the streets are flooded by guys and it changes the perspective of how males view females that hang out late. Like I once got harassed when I was coming back from a wedding just because it was 1 a.m. and a guy next to me was thinking that I shouldn't be out. And I, if I'm out at this hour, then I must be looking for something or mm. like like attention and harassment, basically, you mm. know. And, and the things that he said, it was the worst time I got harassed by a guy. Wow. Um, yeah, and it was terrible. I was like, why is this happening to me and why is it that way? And and I wonder if that guy even thinks of how he's doing this, you know. And, and I think this is the type of things we want to, to discuss. Very much. Um, what were you going to say? And I think there's all these, like, cultural scripts taking place all the time and we we're expected to subscribe to them and and if we're not subscribing to them we're expected to do that secretly you know underground under wraps and and I think it produces an incredibly unhealthy relationship between men and women and then older generations and younger generations and and I, I personally think it's an incredibly toxic just like here if you if you want anything like to pursue anything healthy, it's it's very difficult in this kind of environment because there's all these connotations and like your reputation's at stake and and so some people opt to not involve themselves at all because it's it's, it's too, too much. It's, it's too, too much. scary. It's like yeah. you're because you're not only representing yourself in a lot of ways. You're representing your family, your your yeah. like and your gender and and it's too much. I think to be to put that on a single woman. Mm. I like that. That really does make sense. You're right. And then that makes her to be put in a in a society in a box that she doesn't want to be in. Mm-hmm. She's labeled into like, okay, she's a female. She's doing this. She's doing this. She's doing that. So automatically, you're labeled and you're put in a box, and that's it. Even if you change within the years, you're still in that box until you prove yourself. So for me i want to break all those barriers like as as this podcast we want to break all those barriers we want to be um kind of person who sits in the front of the bus (laughs) (laughs) i want to sit like in the front of the bus and um we want to lead those women because everyone is like powerful in their own way everyone is unique in their own way people should start to take their own um their own advice and listen to their own gut feeling and not their not I'm not saying not their parents or not anything it's just listen to your own like purpose listen to your own gut try to find that don't don't dwell and like does that make sense Mm. (laughs) and I'm curious have you guys always been this um active mentally and yeah I'm guessing even like emotionally and physically and in terms of these topics, I could tell how passionate you guys are about this. So when did and he did when did this start? Did something happen? Did it trigger something? Or were you guys always some um, of rebels, if I'd like to call? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I we could talk together. Uh, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. I mean, I I started from a very young age to be kind of like a rebel. Not a rebel, I just liked things that other people weren't liking. I mean, at a, I was 15 years old and I was 
enjoying rifle shooting. <laughs> I was like traveling around for competitions for rifle shooting. And as a girl, they were like, what? You, like, you're holding a rifle and you're shooting and you're doing all of that. And I'm like, well, that's what I like. Like, this is what I'm interested in. And then from there, I, gradu I, I graduated from high school and I went abroad and I studied um, in Colorado. And I was still like in my summer times or the winter breaks, I was still um, going back to competitions and um, uh, competing internationally. So even when I was a kid, I wasn't the, maybe the norm. <laughs> um, and, and then when I came back to Kuwait, I was like, okay, no, there's n no one talks about the things that I want to talk about, like the daily issues that I go through. What was, Me what was, living abroad and coming back, the reverse cultural shock. What was it like for you being like a rifle shooter? Um, is that like gender-wise? Like was there kind of any, any kind of judgment yeah. towards you as a woman doing this? Or is it also a very female sport? I don't know anything about the sport, so I'm genuinely asking. Um, well, uh, there was there's like female and male. Like the male, they had 60 shots that they have to do. The females had 40 shots, which is no like, way. yeah. I mean, it's, it was less because they're like, oh, the male, they ha they're like built for this and they're stronger. <laughs> yeah, so the women are like, they're not built for it. But now with how what's happening... Um, uh, with sexism in the world they actually did it all like they even, changed even the yeah. rules and they evened it out for everyone so now everyone does 60 and shots what about like the perceptions you received from your extended family or friends like when you told people oh i'm a rifle <laughs> yeah um i had a lot of like backlash from guys mostly um, also my, my, my family, but not like my grandparents, cause they were just like from a different era and from a different generation. So they were like, what is a sport? Why can't you do like normal people's sport? I'm like, what is normal people's sport? What's wrong with rifle shooting? Um, and I got backlash from them, but I mostly, um, from men, um, they would be like Wayne Shinovich, like, mm. Or like actually you're just like why why are why you, you have to be so mean? exactly <laughs> why are you so discouraging of yeah. something like that and like I like I have medals and I have like like I've won Asian championships and wow. why why are you being like this yeah, you know because, because you're rising to their level of competition and they don't like it and they're raised on that you know like they're raised to be I think in Kuwait like men are raised to be men and women are raised to be women and you, sh you shouldn't cross the lines between both of them um, I believe that for me it was a lot like Hassa because I grew up like uh, very rebellious and I was a troublemaker in school as a child and I would be always kicked out with the boys not with like the girls wouldn't wouldn't cause any trouble but I would be kicked out with the guys or like suspended or doing stuff that guys would normally do and I would even play football with the boys because I grew up in a house of two boys mm -hmm. and they were older than me so I was always acting naturally like a like a guy would act like you know it's it's I was a girl but I would still act like a boy and I never saw the line between both like it was the same for me because my brothers would do that and I would do that so it's fine you know but then when I actually that was perfect in Egypt but even not not very perfect because even in my school it was mixed but there is a certain level of non-equality like we're equal in class but then we had like the the knitting class and the guys would have like the farming class 
and it's different like this is a class where we get segregated because guys have to do farming and girls have to do knitting and it was interesting because like why do we not do both you know and uh, and then when i moved to kuwait i that was in egypt and then i moved to kuwait and egypt is very open to a certain level socially and the, the societal problems are different to a certain level as well but we don't have this like even even in marriage um females contribute to the marriage and in kuwait it's totally on the guy so when i moved back here i saw how many things are into like the culture that are like abe or like you shouldn't do that or like a girl shouldn't do that or a guy only does that and then and then even with my cousins like we're we're allowed to interact my male cousins were allowed to interact at a certain level but like not openly or like we can't be like really friends and that was like very triggering in in it made me think about a lot of things and i was thinking why aren't people thinking about these things and i think that's where it all started um questioning you know and i think both um hassan ghadir raised a very important point which is like the way like these cultural scripts i was talking about like in a lot of ways women we tend to like people tend to expect us to act very demure very quiet like i remember i used to always hear like sotul mar'aura and like things like that and it's just like when you actually think about the implications of that like you're literally silencing women and it's and you're telling her it's it's some it's sort of some somehow in her favor to silence herself like it's somehow like noble and that's incredibly problematic and i think like all these expectations of you to not participate in this like otherwise masculine sport sport yeah. is just in lots of ways kind of always mitigating the woman from like becoming herself I'm curious how was uh, where where did you study abroad yeah. I'm curious where did you study abroad and how was that experience in terms of wearing the hijab and oh, yeah. people that you Um had? so for me so like my the reason I I became rebellious in a lot of ways so I was actually I actually grew up in the US and was born there until I was about 11 years old. Um and then I moved to Kuwait and immediately I came um I was in middle school and high school here and it was an incredible culture shock because because I was I was like a preteen, you know, like it's start when you start getting your like teen angst and like oh like you're <laughs> Yeah, and I was very and I think like living as an immigrant in the US, it's a very particular experience because you kind of have this private life and this public life where privately you are engaging with kind of like your your language like arabic your customs yes. like um kuwaiti muslim customs and then outside of that uh you to fit into society you want to become americanized and so like i had these two kind of du- this dual identity where my public life was this american kind of english speaking um like super kind of yeah americanized girl and then indoors with my family i was this kind of kuwaiti which boos everything is kuwaiti exactly but like the 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 tricky thing there is i used to feel shame towards my kuwaitiness and mm. my muslimness because i saw it as the thing that inhibited me from assimilating into society. So I used to be ashamed of like my parents spoke in an accent or like because i used to be like no 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 but i want to be like american And so it was an incredible culture shock when I moved to Kuwait and then suddenly those two things flipped. And so suddenly my private life became this kind of American side and then my public life, everything that I was learned because of like just that's a whole other conversation like living in America as an immigrant but like it just 
all this shame that I felt was suddenly everywhere. Like Arabic was everywhere. Everyone is speaking. Everyone is Muslim. Every, and I, and I was, I was, it was shocking. And, mm. I, and I went to an all-girls school all of a sudden because I just went to a public school in the U.S. And, and my school, and so it was like incredibly different. And I, was, I remember the first day I was just like, I'm not going to have any friends. I don't want any friends. I'm just going to like study and, and leave. Mm. Um, but then I ended up meeting some girls who were also kind of lived abroad and, and then ended up merging. Um, becoming friends but then so I always had kind of this rebellious kind of misfit kind of experience I don't know if I'm we're good like, we're good um, and so and so then when I decided to go abroad oh so then fast forward to like middle school high school I was in Kuwait and I and I I really I think I always struggled with kind of asserting my Kuwaitiness because in the US I was always too Kuwaiti to be American and then here, mm. I always felt too American to be Kuwaiti. Kuwaiti. So, like, all my cousins would be like, oh, how did Amerikiya? Like, and, and I remember, like, even in school, people would be like, oh, you have such a, like, Texas accent. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how's your Kuwaiti accent? It affects your Kuwaiti accent, do you Oh, think? I don't know. I think I speak Kuwaiti fine. Okay, perfect. Um, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, but, like... Because I see a lot of my friends that live abroad... They struggle with the language. Even some of my friends that yeah. um, studied in private schools here in Kuwait, they struggle with reading Arabic too, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Um, honestly, I didn't study in Kuwait. I studied in Egypt. And mm-hmm. uh, in Egypt, Arabic, even if you're in a private school, Arabic is really strong. So I, I grew up with a very strong background in Arabic. And I even use it now in my work. Uh, but I surprisingly, everyone who meets me, they're like, well, you speak perfect Kuwaiti. And I'm like, yeah, I know. They're like, well, you didn't live in Kuwait. And I'm like, yeah, but my mom's Kuwaiti. They're like, yeah, but you lived in Egypt. Yeah, but I speak both. And that's like the funniest conversation ever because they couldn't, they wouldn't believe like I even speak Egyptian even better than Kuwaiti. You know, like wow. I don't believe I per- speak perfect Kuwaiti. You know yeah. what I mean? But yeah, I've, I don't think I've ever struggled with that, but I've seen it. But I don't think also um, Arabic is... Um, I don't think people who are not really good at Arabic, it's because they're they're just like not practicing it. I think language or like linguistics is also like some of some people are stronger at it mm-hmm. and some people are not because I have two brothers, as I said, one of them speaks really good Kuwaiti. My middle brother struggles with Kuwaiti. He can't even pull a sentence together. Mm-hmm. So and we both grew, grew in the same house. So it makes sense. Like some people are just not as good with linguistics and some are good. And it depends on whether you studied it at a very very early stage or not because that's when you really learn everything at a very early age and yes. if you don't get it back then then it's going to be a struggle growing up you know especially yeah. the accent i think uh, my parents they learned my dad at least, he learned <laughs> arabic when he was maybe 18 when he went to the states and he has the kuwaiti american accent you know <laughs> let's go do everywhere you know so and i think because it, i don't know maybe it has to do with al-hibal it just gets to adapt on a certain age yeah, it's very interesting and i like your story about you being like because i always notice other cultures in america living and trying to keep their culture alive at home their, their parents are really pushing it you know like Persians or turkish yeah. or moroccans True. and i'm sure you connect with those people over there while they were there i mean i mean i think it's a really tricky thing because there's like because there is this unspoken pressure to integrate and assimilate in a specific way and i think it's coded with like whiteness and almost this like neutrality and and i think i think with being a migrant in the US, like you end up clinging harder onto your identity more so than you would in a place where everyone, like I feel like I didn't, when I went to college, it was 
it was really interesting because I, like, when I was in Kuwait, I never really thought of myself as Muslim. Like, I'm Muslim because everyone, like, I'm Muslim, everyone's Muslim, whatever, but, like, I didn't, like, seek out my friends because they were Muslim. And, like, when I went to college in the U.S., it was weird because, like, all these Muslims started approaching me, like, oh, we're going to be friends now. It's like, what do we have in common? Like, like. We're Muslim. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, like, and it was interesting because, like, I think when you grow up in, if you grew up in the U.S., and this is why I'm kind of grateful I got to come to Kuwait um, at a young age because cause I was able to kind of separate my identity from my, like, Muslim or Arab identity and just understand myself as Reem. And then, like, so when I went back to the U.S., I was able to kind of really choose and where I fit. And whereas I think if I had grown up there my whole life, I think I would have been a lot much more like I would have clung much tighter onto like my identity um as like a Muslim or and sometimes to a fault like sometimes it becomes more about you trying to assert your identity in a, in the face of assimilation and kind of never having the opportunity to understand what that identity is for yourself um so for the hijab you asked me about the hijab earlier so I think it was interesting because in the U.S. over the four years I lived there, it became a very political identity. Like I think I wore it when I was like 16 or something. And that was, I think it was maybe an attempt to also fit into Kuwaiti society, into my extended family. But also like I was going through a bit of like a religious phase and like, I don't know. And then, and then I think, but then you're, you're young, you make these decisions. And then, but I didn't realize how much it would actually affect my life abroad. And um, I went to... When I went to the U.S., like, it was interesting because I think... You went back to the U.S.? Yeah, for college. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so I was about, like, 17, 18. And suddenly, everyone in the community, like, all these newspapers, I didn't realize hated Muslims. And I suddenly felt like the hijab was, like, so heavy on my head. All of a sudden. And because all of a sudden, I didn't know there was so much hate. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, um, is someone going to, like, run me over their truck or something? Like, I didn't... I was, like, really scared. And then... About like a month after that, two Muslim girls with headscarves were shot 15 minutes from where I live. And wow. and that was just like so difficult. And I remember my mom called me. She's like, Reem, like you should like take off your hijab or like wear a hat. Like halas, like it's it's dangerous. Like it's people, these people are crazy. They're like thinking about ISIS. They're thinking like they're not thinking about you as an individual. And like they're and so I was just like, no, mommy, like they, that's exactly what they want to do to us. They want to erase us. And so it became this like political identity. So I was like, no, I have to hold on to the hijab because if I take it off in this context, they're trying to delete us. Like this is what they want. And like, and obviously like it's she's living here. It's a different context. She doesn't see it as like this political thing. And so I think that's the very particular relationship you can have with the hijab or with your identity in in that kind of U.S. context. Wow. Wow. I feel like clapping. I'm just like, woo But I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it's fascinating because I do think... Like, I want to wear a hijab now. <laughs> but I mean, it's fascinating, though, because I do think that my relationship with it has evolved over time. Because I think when, in the, when I left the U.S., so I, like, I spent some time in London, like, there, so many people are wearing hijab. I don't feel like it's as political. And, like, it's, it's interesting because I... Because I do really think the where you are can really affect yes. how you practice and why you practice, and and it's I and sometimes it's tiring to make have a political identity all the time. Like you're, like when you wear a hijab, sometimes without even 
wanting to, you're making a political statement. Yes. And that that's difficult sometimes. And so, like, in, in London, I would experiment more with just wearing, like, a winter's hat or things like that. So it's kind of, like, allows me to blend in in a way where I'm not always having to volunteer this, like, this political attitude, especially in the global climate we live in now, which is, like, very... There's a lot of anti-Muslim sentiment. And 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 so I think the hijab is a very dynamic thing. And I'm, I'm blessed that it's given me, like, a different narrative in every place that I've lived. Mm, I bet. Even the perspective, I mean, and your perspective when you were younger in the States versus when you were mm -hmm. 17, 18 was a completely different person, Absolutely. perspective, experience, especially with the things going on when you were older, you know? Yeah. And your parents going through everything while they're here, knowing that their daughter's there, fighting for that. <laughs> you know? That was very interesting. Yeah. I like how you literally just decided to stand up for what you believe in. Although you were young, you were alone, and you were thinking of not giving them what they want or them wanting to defeat us or, or yeah, not, not erase us, maybe just defeat us and get what they want. So it's a very interesting story. Thank you so much for sharing and it. And I mean, I mean, I, I think in the US, like the guy that shot those women was like this kind of white supremacist guy. And so I think for me, it was very like, it wasn't just like, oh, I feel like they're, the US context is attacking Muslims. It was very particular. Like there was, it was a hate crime, mm. which is why I think it became political. Mm. Like if, if it was another context in which they died, I don't know if it would have been as political. Mm. <coughs> it's, be, it's more because of the ignorance that people, they don't want to learn, they don't want to read. They're, they're just getting their media from TVs and sources that are not true. So that's why we want to shed light on people. <laughs> we want to shed light on this community and this yeah. society. Um, cause if you don't like fit in this box, they judge you very harshly mm -hmm. and they take it very personal. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's why we want to bring out topics that no one really wants to talk about. Nice. Um, like abuse. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much, um, under the name of abuse, like people control it in ways that, um, and they call it love like through control through abusing and there's I'm, I'm not just talking about physical i'm talking about like emotional like mental cyberbullying everything yeah cyberbullying i mean it all affects you as like as a person growing up mentally physically emotionally um it's draining it's very draining and people think it's okay so um we kind of uh, don't want that. <laughs> I like the fact that you're creating um, somewhat of a community to make girls or people that are going through what you guys are going through not feel alone, you know? Yeah. Even if you're not helping them, they just know that I'm not the only person that's going through this, you know, and someone is actually trying to yeah. shed some light, not necessarily make a huge change, but at least just shed awareness and shed some light. Yeah. And I'm really curious about... Ghadir and because Ghadir has been in the let's say the game in terms of the for a while now yeah for a while in the entrepreneurship scene here in Kuwait <laughs> I remember like three or four years ago when I went to I don't know if it was that long ago when I went to Neo and Ghadir has one of those faces that you don't forget right <laughs> like if you see her here and you see her now be like that's the same person I remember that person <laughs> even if you haven't seen her for a year so I'd like to know how did it evolve or has it changed 
um, yeah, just what what is it exactly that has evolved? Um, the entrepreneurship scene, um, the creative scene, people just being able to go out there and be like what you are—a freelancer, not necessarily looking for a job straight up. Yeah, I I think it's been actually happening in the bus in the past maybe three years, but the the, the interesting part is um, I never worked for corporate. I worked for um, very interesting uh, places that were very dynamic as well. Um, and then my first corporate, my first startup experience was when when you met me. I was working in Zamuruda at Niu uh, with one of the startups, mm-hmm. uh, um, and and then I had two other startup experiences. Um, for me, I started freelancing in 2015. It was a side thing that I would do because I would always get bored of what I'm doing because it gets boring in in a, a stable job for me. Uh, I never saw myself in a day job, and um, it was it was actually interesting that I had two or three of my either co-workers or uh, man- direct managers telling me that I have an entrepreneurial character and I should maybe consider being an entrepreneur. And back then, uh, I would be so offended. I was like, "Why are they telling me like this?" And it's like they they're saying it like it's a bad thing. And and then I I, I realized why. Like I started seeing why they said that along the way, and. And I noticed that even when I took jobs, I would take seven month breaks between each job and the other. Like when I switched, I, I would quit and then freelance and then join another job. And then, but now I'm finally like freelancing for good. And I'm so happy to be doing that. Um, my experience with startups was very interesting because I, I really enjoyed doing marketing, but I really didn't enjoy the startup scene. It was too businessy for me and like too, I don't know. It was hardcore in a way. Uh, I loved seeing entrepreneurs doing their their own thing and like being empowered by uh, whether it's uh, it's like a company or like it's like a group of people that have like this event for startups. Um, but at the same time, it was too businessy for me. Like not not that creative, maybe in a sense. Um, but I've also noticed that the ecosystem in Kuwait still needs a lot of work. Uh, because a lot of entrepreneurs maybe they they start up a business but they either lack uh, knowledge like one of the startups I, I worked at I'm not gonna mention the name but they they had no like they hired me for a reason you hired me as a marketing manager because you want to someone to have ideas for you to like do stuff for you in terms of marketing because you do not know about marketing and it's okay to not know about marketing because not everyone has this like, part our aspect of business you know what i mean and and they would hire us but then they they wouldn't really let us do the work they would want to manage the process or like to mi- micromanage or like to put like the the plan for us and i'm like okay why am i here if you want if you want to do everything then you shouldn't hire a marketing manager or like if you tell them for instance let's say one of my managers uh, at a startup i would tell him let's do this because i believe like i have five years experience and i know that the kuwaiti market this is the best way to like penetrate it or like this is the best way to market for it and he would be like no but i want to do this and i think this is the right way of doing it and he would implement his own idea or like his own concept of marketing and he even though he said that he doesn't know a lot about marketing and it wouldn't even succeed and and at the end of the day it would be my fault because I'm the one handling marketing you know what I mean so it's um 
it's it's a struggle of knowledge and i feel like uh, there is a still uh, a bit of ego i'm not talking about everyone in startups because there are a lot of amazing startups that actually um have an amazing concept and like um even an organizational structure uh, inside and they manage to reach big 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 uh, positions in in the market because of that but there are startups that have an amazing potential hmm. and an amazing idea and like they have their the right team but because they lack leadership skills they're not going anywhere uh, and it's because of an ego like if the ceo if i'm a ceo of a startup and i have an ego of hiring people but like wanting to implement what i think is right then i'm not doing anything um, and that, I think that's one of the things that the Kuwaiti scene struggles with. And another thing I think is also the ecosystem, as I said, is basically um, there's a lot of startups, but I feel like they're, they're, the environment is still not as, as, as it is in Dubai, for instance. You know, It's going there, though, and, and it's happening. But I feel like, yeah, there is What still, does the environment mean? I mean, like... The way the way startups are empowered, or like um, the way people invest in startups, uh, the events that happen on a startup level, uh, so it's basically the the ecosystem. Things in Dubai happen differently, and even like um, so? yeah, if you attend an event for startups, uh, you you see actually real people wanting to invest. Uh, you see startups that are of like different levels working on things, and I don't know. I I just feel like. It's different there. Like there is a level of um, not just seriousness. There is a level of knowledge, and that's what I was talking about. It's basically this lack of knowledge that is here. It's it's part of why things are maybe still. And even like we have a lot of entities that claim that they support startups, mm. but they, if you go to them, they have like a list. And they would only support a startup if it's making money. And most of startups, when they start, they're not making any money. So, no yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. Like in Dubai, if you go, they, they invest in the idea and not just in how much money you're making. And, and that's the idea of startups. So there is a lot of knowledge that has to do with the startup scene uh, or like the, the idea of startups that Kuwait still needs. But I do believe there are really good examples in Kuwait. And, and the reason why they succeeded is because they, they're doing it differently, not, not like everyone is doing it. Mm. Like Carriage is a very good example. Uh, there is also uh, Rinwa app. Like they they got funded by Rotana with like a huge amount of uh, money recently, and it's because of how they're running things internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though maybe you wouldn't see them in most of the events that happen in, in Kuwait. It's funny every startup <laughs> event I go to, whether it's in Kuwait or in Dubai or Abu Dhabi, and I realize that. <coughs> Maybe 80 to 90% of startups now are e-businesses and um, services. So it's very tricky. I mean, e-businesses can be an update away from destroying another e-business. Just like what Carriage did when it added groceries. True. Pharmaceutical, it destroyed yeah, true. a lot of other e-businesses based on its database. True. Um, so scary e-businesses i see entrepreneurs just i see the struggle i see it in their eyes it's very very hard uh developers designers marketers content clients retention all of these things 
are just very tricky, you know, so, and, yeah. And I think that uh, makes me, I, something I want to ask you all about is, and because this all leads to a particular social issue, is kind of Kuwait's obsession with, with status and money and um, appearance. And, and I'm not surprised that only, only startups with, that make a lot of money are going to make it because, because I don't, that's something that, I mean, we've talked about this, like in terms of the culture. And, I'm, and so I'm curious about like, how does this, how, how do you guys perceive this? Kind of this obsession with status and, and what you wear and the kind of car you have and the kind of brands you have and how much money you're making. How do you guys perceive that in, in our day-to-day society? I love that you're doing the interviewing for us. Because she knows you guys way more than I do. Just thank you. <laughs> um, to be honest, I see it as an insecurity. Um, because people are not accepting of other people unless you have those checklists that you have. Um, you need to have a nice car. You need to have a nice bag. You need to have a nice appearance. Or I will not be friends with you. Or I, will, I don't want you in my circle. Um, yeah, because you don't have those things that you need to have. And how does that happen? Like, does it happen explicitly or like? Um, not explicit. Like, they just won't. Let's say they won't invite you, or they won't. Um, they won't want you in that clique or that circle. And that's how it is. Like, I feel like there's just so many cliques and so many circles in Kuwait, and not everyone is welcoming. So it's either you form them when you're in high school, or you're not gonna, you know, it's kind of that status where you have to have this, and then you can come into our circle. So that's, I got that once I came back to Kuwait, where the reverse culture shock for me, um, it was very hard to, like, find friends or meet new people um, but slowly I got the hang of it but yeah I feel like it's an insecurity with people um, and it's something that happens within the family it's not it happens from your mom your grandma the society the status that you're living it's not something that just happens like it's embedded within the culture within the tradition that we have in Kuwait I feel like so mm. yeah um, I'm, I might disagree to a certain level with that because I do see it in some families, but I also don't see it in my, in my home or like in, in a lot of homes that I know. And I think that um, it, it, is, it, is, it is a disease that will eat Kuwait if it keeps going that way. But I also believe like, why, why do people think that way? Like it, it, it makes me think about it. And I, I also don't think it's, it's not necessarily just an insecurity. It could be so many other things. It could be like, okay, it's a, it's a status thing. If I'm thinking of things from a perspective of status, then I'm only going to align myself with people who are on the same status. And it also goes to back how hum, like humans or like people like to classify things. And, and Kuwait has a big part of this. Like they, they, they always classify whether it's like through family names, whether it's like through status or, or even like... Um, let's say asilin mu asilin hadri walla bdoui so 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 all of these uh, things are used to, to 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 basically differentiate between people and i think it's um it's 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 just something that they have a habit of doing based of based on so many reasons insecurity is one of them 
But I also think that if we keep doing this, the 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 culture is just gonna eat itself in a way, you know. Uh, and 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 I think we should cha- challenge this by actually not being an example of that. Um, What's a good conversation without disagreeing, sir? Like, I think it's, <laughs> there's a lot of juice. I think that this is not only in Kuwait. I think that it's not only recently. I think this is embedded in humans ever since any yeah, society true. or history happened, written history at least. You see that there's the elite, there's a f- certain families, and there are certain rankings. Even still, in a lot of countries, this is clear. True. You know, like in, for example, India. I'm half Indian. My mom is Indian. Okay. And in India, the darker skin you are, the lower class you are. Oh, wow. And they have that. And it's, if you notice, Indian movies are all light-skinned. Oh, yeah. So when you think of Kuwait yeah, in general when it comes to being accepted or not, I think now we're in a phase where anybody can be elite. Anybody can be um, treated royal, like, like someone royal or someone famous or a celebrity. 50 years ago, 30 years ago, we didn't have a platform where we could compete with the elite or reach that phase without going through a certain process, right? If I wanted to be an actor, I had to do the whole Hollywood thing. If I wanted to be on a radio, whatever. But now I think it's a very interesting phase that we don't know the consequences that this might have on us. You know, it's very tricky. Is it good? Is it bad? How do we really know unless it's constantly evolving so we won't know even later down the line if this is actually healthy or not does that also does determine kind of your self-worth and how you see yourself because of that do you you think like the more the more elite you are the more your status is at that level um does it kind of question your self-worth it can and it can't because i think it brings out whatever you really are so if you give a per- so if a person's a bad person, you give him money, he'll have he'll be a worse bad person. If he's a good person, he'll give him money. He'll just have more resources. True. Like Muhammad Ali, they asked him. Um, he said that he doesn't really like boxing, but he decided to be the champion, so he'll have more resources and people will listen to him more. So he'll have the credibility, the authority, so people will actually listen to him more. So it's tricky when you have that position because a lot of people have that position overnight. It happens to them overnight, whether they're teenagers and whether they're celebrities. And then it's like just being thrown in this wave where you don't know what the hell to do and how to react. And then people are judging me based on how I'm reacting and it's affecting every area of their lives. I think it's tricky. I mean, you bring up a really good point when you talked about how previously you couldn't, you had no access to becoming elite. But it, it seems like particularly talking about Kuwaiti society, like this oil boom that happened, I don't know how many years ago, kind of made it all for grabs. Like suddenly, like, and I think this culture of Instagram and fashionistas and all this stuff makes it seem like, oh, my wealth is just a few Instagram posts away. Like if I just get enough followers, like I'm suddenly, I'm gonna be rich. And, and I wonder how that affects the culture itself. And like, I wonder how, and, and I think for me personally, I think that like, a lot of this kind of status thing has a lot to do with our culture of malls. So like where for like now it's changing, thankfully. Our but culture of malls. Yeah, like I never let me, thought about that. Yeah, I mean no I mean thank, thankfully it's kinda of changing now, but like um but where do you, where did you do we go? To go spend time with friends or go out with, it's always malls because like it's go hot. To, go to Richards. Because <laughs> it's 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 really hot. And it's I mean, I'm talking about more like maybe ten years ago or yes, like whatever. Yes. And and malls is also like how how the the 
all these in, all these people are investing in Kuwaiti societies through malls. Like, let's make more stores and let's make. And so then, if if the cornerstone of society is a mall, you're going to be buying things, you're going to be spending money, and and you're going to have to like. I remember when I whenever I used to come back for winter break or summer, I used to kind of. I used to always kind of struggle to even go to the malls because I'm like, wait, I'm not dressed up enough. I don't know how people dress up for malls here because people dress up for malls, which is like a, a phenomenon that doesn't exist. This is my time, China. <laughs> and, and I mean, it makes sense because that's where, like, that's where, seen. yeah, that's where you're seen. That's where, like, gez happens yeah. or whatever. That's where. And so I think that inevitably affects how we view status, how we view, like, what you own, what you buy, like... I think what you mentioned about the oil was interesting because I think with a lot of with a lot of wealth in the country, maybe things shifted in that in that direction, and it it kind of sh also shifted the way the culture would would uh, interact and view things. Because I remember like back then, back in the day when I was a kid, and before like all of those malls and stuff, and my mom and even when my mom and my aunts like talk about Kuwait back then when they were younger. Like the, the the usual hangout would be like very very simple like Adi shit. but now like uh, we do it because it's like we do it because we enjoy it but some people would do it because oh like it's cool you know and we can take a good picture for Instagram yeah and and it takes it takes it takes one person to to start something and show it as a cool thing and then people would start like imitating but if it's if it's if it's done I'm sure someone would also like um, kind of. <laughs> pick on someone just because they're doing something differently, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, like so, recently yeah. what happened to one of the social media influencers. Um, he said something about women in general in Kuwait um, and he got uh, thrown in jail. Wow. Yeah, so freedom of speech. Um, yes, you can be attacked and it's tricky because this dude did so much for Kuwait. And he did, when it comes to events, when it comes to giving back to society, he even wanted to invest a bunch of money just to create, um, to build, or I don't know how you say it yet, build the biggest flag in the world and go into the Guinness record for Kuwait from his money. So okay. he, and he did one, I don't want to say mistake, misunderstanding is from what I think it is. And that just destroyed this huge empire that, he somehow built you know throughout the years so it's very tricky it's like you're walking on you're tiptoeing on stones yeah. you know try not to like offend anyone which is very hard right now because anything you can say anyone can be offended by it and about that like even in twitter like one person an ignorant person can tweet something and can shut down an entire event because of that um and it happened like multiple times and then when they go and check the the twitter account it's not even for like it's just a, a random person and like the dakhliya they would just go and like shut it out completely and you're just like by one person like just one ignorant person so yeah i mean freedom of speech here i mean i don't believe we have that freedom of speech that much but people care people care about what other people say and how they are perceived and all of um but i think that. that's part of human nature too and i think it's it's, it's we're social creatures right if we're alone we, don't survive, we have to adapt i have to if i catch a whole um 
caught a sheep. I don't know, they used to <laughs> catch sheep back then. So when you caught like an animal, yeah. your stomach was my fridge. I know if I give you, there's no such thing as a free lunch. If I give you something, you're going to have to give me when you catch something later on. True. You know, so it's kind of, we have to adapt to these social situations, whether we like it or not. And we care about what others think of us. Like there was a sociologist by the name of Charles Cooley, I think. Okay. And he said, you're not what you think you are. You're not what others think you are. You are what you think others think you are. Oh, wow. Shall I say it again? Yes, please. <laughs> you're not what you think you are. Okay. You're not what others think you are. You are what you think others think you are. Okay. So we're constantly thinking about what others think we're saying or how we look. After we leave a certain place, did I make a good impression? Even if it's back in our subconscious minds, we're not even like aware of it, but That's it's true. there, you know? Kuwait is getting more and more diverse um, and not a lot of people are adapting to that. Um, they want it to be the closed uh, kind of society yeah, yeah. that they've always been. And that's not true because um, for years now, like the youth, Kuwait youth has been like studying abroad in everywhere in the world. Like not just in the States. They're going to the UK, they're going to Australia, they're going to Europe, they're going to the US, they're going everywhere. And they're coming back with different mentalities and different way of thinking and mm. different way of living. Yet when you come back, the society themselves are not accepting of that. They expect you to go and come back with the same mentality, with the same thinking. So um, I feel like in order to like accept all of that, they have to adapt in a way. Because you like you are spending so much money to educate those people, and then you're coming, they're coming back, and they're not finding their way. So they're all going on unconventional paths and doing um, all the things that they want to do, and that's how our cultural explosion and boom is happening because of that. Um, so yeah, I feel like the society and the culture just needs to just adapt a little bit to everyone else. I guess. I mean, I some. Something that I think about a lot is when is it that we are genuinely developing and when is it that we're just adopting what we think is development, um, which is like whatever imported capitalist Western kind of shopping malls. And, and, and I mean, I think just because we, can, we have a lot more spending power and we can buy these fancy bags, does that mean we're, we're developed? Does that mean, and I think... It's the complete opposite, I think. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because the Gulf, like we're obsessed with like building tall buildings and having these things and it's and it's just like who is this for like what's the point of this if if our minds are still limited like if we're not encouraged to think if we're not encouraged to kind of if, if we have to worry sitting down here creating this like harmless podcast if someone's going to listen and think we're going against something that insulting anybody and and that like our livelihood could be at stake like i think development is not just about like let's have more startups and let's have more. i mean startups i think are a great mechanism to get there so i'm not gonna I'm, i mean like let's not have more malls and just like more tourism or whatever and like bring this this supposed foreign investment in um it's about actually creating grassroots change where people can think start to think for themselves and not be afraid to think for themselves and to kind of create their own cultural scripts like i think that's what development is and i and I worry that sometimes that's not the direction we're going in. We're going sometimes in a direction where like the self-obsessed um, kind of image-based 
kind of development. Yeah, yeah. Um, Arim, I agree with you on that, but I also think that uh, this is something that's on us to do as youth because you're not, you're you're not necessarily. You, we don't have to wait until we get the permission or like we get a movement from, let's say, whether it's a an a, an entity or like a the government or like any sort so, sort of support, an outer support. We make up the society, and um, I've seen great examples from Saudi that have been doing amazing things within the culture. Like I know a girl that has like uh, a couple of art uh, centers in Saudi, and sh- she's she's part of the community that's making a change, and it's because she has a very good knowledge, just like you guys. And and it's it's all about us. Like we we create the change we want to see in in our society, and if we have the knowledge, I think. Um, let's say if people d- dedicate their time to educate themselves a little bit more like the the reason why we have a lot okay we do have the people that actually we have people that travel and get educated abroad and come back with really great knowledge and insight and and they be, they 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 become amazing people that want to make a change but there is also the the type of people that are in kuwait and and they they live a very easy life and they're not even motivated towards knowledge they don't care what's happening in the world they don't care if the society changes or not they care about like what am i going to wear today uh, how how much bags i'm going to have how much money do i have how many cars do i have this is the type of knowledge that they they have but i feel like if if more well, and more people is that for people having certain any... i think I'm, I honestly don't know whose fault is that, but I do believe an easy life is is one of the reasons why someone could grow up like this. But I also know a lot of people from easy backgrounds, like easy, like let's say, when I say easy, I mean like an overflow of money and uh, not so many problems. But I also met a very, like, very great examples from such backgrounds because they question and they don't want to live that way they want to learn they want to educate themselves so i think it all it all goes back to us as people and the more we we do the more we create ahna as uh, like um the more change we try to make the more education people that are not in that sense of the like side of the world are going to try to 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 keep up you know because they're they're going to feel like okay i want to learn about this no one actually wants to be lazy and you know like and and if and if some someone is like that it doesn't mean that everyone has to be like that mm. and i'm sure people are going to keep up as long as we have good examples and and that's that's the key i guess and- and I'm I'm just really I'm beyond impressed by Kuwaitis. Like I think some of the drives that I find when I come back is just unlike anywhere else. So it's there's the potential is definitely there. Um, yeah. I'm gonna say that. That's and so it's true. a double-edged weapon when you see a lot of people that are gifted with all of these, um, if you want to call it materialistic things. And I know a lot of people that are quote unquote um, rich, quote unquote successful, but they're struggling. You know, when it comes to everything, uh, it's, it's tricky when you have everything given to you. But like you said, um, it has nothing to do with those things. It, it, you see the, the, the people that are giving the most in the world and they're making the biggest change are the ones that came from nothing. great families <laughs> and the ones that had crazy childhoods. And that, so it's very tricky to dissect whether this is an issue. I know, like shout out to Antisar, Antisar Sabah. She 
is amazing. Yesterday I went to her office and she has uh, one of her nonprofits called Bariq. And it's something maybe I crossed, I saw on social media, but yesterday one of the people that worked for Bariq was telling me how they focus on bullying, how they want to change the educational system by tackling the bullying aspect, which is very interesting because before when I always asked people, how, what, would you like to, uh, what would you like to change in the world? I always answered with, I'd like to change the educational system because they don't teach us things that we need to learn outside school, blah, blah, blah. Yesterday, when he told me that it's the bullying that we're tackling, that really made sense because people who change the world, again, don't have the best education, are the ones that just want to change the world. So education isn't the factor. And then he explains how there are three parts to bullying, right? There's a okay. bully and there, there's a victim and there's another name that he said that that's just the observer or somebody that's there that could do something, but they're not. Bystander. Yes, that's the word. And so these people are actually making a lot of change. And he said that the, 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 the data shows that 100% of the schools, the classes, the bullies that they try to change, all of them changed. And how they do it? By doing a four-day workshop. And then the fifth day, they do a play in front of all the students. And the actors are these students. And they show them how being bullied and being a bully affects them. And then towards the end, you see them clapping, crying, getting all emotional. Before they leave, they make them make a decision. So they have a card. They give them something, a card or something. And before they leave the door, they have two boxes. And they tell them, you make a choice today. Would you like to be kind or would you like to be a bully? And that slight decision can actually change their entire day. So it's beautiful because these bullies are leaders and they have these leadership skills, which he was telling me yesterday. So they try to switch that energy towards going to something, quote unquote, negative to something actually that serves society. That's Very amazing, positive. like pioneering in that um, education. That's awesome. But then you also have to think about the when that kid goes home. Yes the yes. things that he has to endure i mean that kid is bullying because he is getting bullied like at home or something that's happening so it's also kind of like you also have to educate the parents at the same time and not just the kids yes. i mean the kids have a choice but that's not going to happen until like when he's 18 or 21 or whenever they can actually have the um, the choice to actually make a decision and not mm -hmm. someone else making it for them. Um, but yeah, that's an amazing thing that they're doing. And I just wrote it down. I'm, I want to actually check out like more about it. Um, yeah, they do a bunch of things. Yeah. The second step is parents and teachers. So, okay, so yeah. that they're going through. Like they're, yeah, okay, that's awesome. and, and I think uh, you mentioned education. I. I think bullying is really important, obviously, to tackle. But then also, I think it's really interesting. Ghadir talked about how often people from abroad come back with these new ideas, right? And Hass also talked about that. And and my thing is, why does someone have to come from abroad to come with these ideas that are going to challenge? The, like, why isn't it coming from the culture itself? And I think part of that, honestly, is is for a lot of us, like going through the educational system here, like you are encouraged to memorize and 
and I hear this more from some of my friends that went to public schools, like a lot of it is like like you have to memorize this qasida or like this thing. And, and I think the difference between memorizing something versus like I went to elementary school in the States, we had to read so much, just read. And the difference between reading versus memorizing is reading, you're trying to extract meaning. Whereas memorizing, you're just regurgitating what you see. And I think that affects how you absorb society. So if you're encouraged to read society and dis dissect meaning from it, then that's when you can begin to challenge it. But if you're expected to accept something and give it back exactly as it is. Like, and I think a lot of people that go abroad, like they're encouraged to think and in different ways and not just memorize like these books and take these tests, exams that are just like basically how much did you memorize? And they come back and they're like, wait, like I'm thinking about this now and this is actually, I don't like this or I want to change this. And, and so I think in the educational, we have to really look at the educational system too and try mm. to figure out how can we encourage more critical thinking in the curriculum mm. and not so much just like your, your, your academic worth is how well you can memorize this poem or whatever, which definitely happens a lot. I love that. Really cool. Really cool. And even, um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was going to say something about the educational system, which is really cool. Um, so when you say critical thinking, what does that look like abroad? Mm, good question. Um, I think, I think it's just, the different, and I mean, I wonder how much of this also has to do with, with how conflated religion tends to be with culture. Um, I think a lot of times when you're, mm. when you think too much here, at least I've experienced this. I've, I mean, it's mandatory to go to religion class and everything here, and and I don't know if people had similar experiences, but I remember when I used to think about things and ask them to my religion teacher, she'd be like, no, 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 that's the devilry. You can't think about that, and. <laughs> And, and, like, and we have another one. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one in class. <laughs> you can't you can't think about that. And and so then I start policing my own thoughts, thinking that blocking question. Thinking that oh no, this is this is a devil. Like I need to protect myself from this this abstract figure that's apparently gonna contaminate my thoughts. And so then I don't trust all my thoughts. And so then I start policing them. And then. And then I don't think as much, and I don't because I'm afraid, become afraid to think, and and I think that's not present in other contexts that I've been in, where you're like encouraged to think and imagine, and and there's no boundaries. Um, being afraid to think and policing your thoughts. Yeah, and I don't know if you guys have experienced something similar at all. Like I, like wow. I don't know what like this is just my experience, but yeah, have you guys? I think I think it goes into all almost all Arab schools in in a sense. Maybe not the American ones. I don't know about American ones because in Egypt, American schools are very liberal, so mm -hmm. they don't go through the same um, things. But I've I've gone especially through especially because same. Uh, Egypt, when it comes to religions, maybe it's a bit yeah. They're they're more spiritual actually. Mm -hmm. They're not very strict religiously. Really? Yeah. Uh, Egyptians are spiritual. They do some of them. You'd see a lot of them would pray like. Uh, a lot of women pray, but they don't wear the hijab. So it's more to them. It's a personal thing. It's a relationship between me and my God, and it's also spiritual. So I, I, I'm, I, but I've seen this in like because some religion teachers are religious, but also I do believe um, 
that it's not only in religion class it's it's something that has to do with thinking and questioning that is 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 happening in schools like i remember that if i correct a teacher she'd tell me like oh this is uh, or like if i tell her that i ask her a question or like i question something she would she would um reject it in in a way or like uh, learn to like put it aside because i'm not supposed to question or like think about things in different ways i have to do it the way it is and i remember in uni, in uni even there was a um, one one of the doctors uh, i studied mass comm so one of the doctors i took a course with her and they said that she's very very strict and she doesn't give good grades and in the seventh week um i went through the seventh week exam and i i answered from what i understood from the book and apparently she wanted us to to answer in the same way that she explained in class so if you respond in any different way even if it's your own interpretation of your own understanding which is also true it would be wrong so i i actually had to drop the class and take it with another doctor in another semester like another professor in another semester because i don't want to fail because she thinks i have to respond the same way she wants me to answer questions and it goes down to that and i think that happens in a lot of schools yeah and it's it's when you say policing your thoughts and trying not to express i mean it's it's already happening in your head yeah, right i mean yeah. like when somebody tells you something a lot of people are naturally curious like what do you mean you know and and the just voicing certain it. thoughts you're right and not just in schools i think in general society when you talk to people like no don't talk about these things yeah. or don't ask these questions and it's done that door is closed you know <coughs> that's why i was pretty lucky when i went to the states i was like i can actually start thinking for myself i can take decisions for myself um i have that freedom of seeing which decision i want to take and calculating each one and like okay i'm gonna do that without taking anyone's advice or talking to some like my parents or anyone from my family because خلاص, like i'm in a place where i need to be independent and i need to make my own decisions um, and think for myself because who knows like many out of nafsa kithir nafsa like no one is gonna come and tell you what's good for you um, that's what like we're trying to do that like think for yourself trust your gut trust your mind see what your heart is telling you um maybe people won't get that at the at the beginning but like that's what we're trying to it's very tricky though it is i mean if you think about it i i mean is there a certain age you reach and then you you tell your child or brother whatever okay it's fine to think for yourself because i know as humans we're very dependent on our parents as 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 a species until we're very old like it takes a gazelle 15 minutes to be able to run for its life or it's dead True. It takes us 18 years and we still aren't <laughs> able to take care of no, ourselves. When so when you say parents should allow their kids to be think for themselves. Um, for me personally, um, my mom was very, she, she wasn't very hands on. Like she was there. Um, but like our decisions and everything, like I graduated from college, from university, from high school. And she was like, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like. Oh, so you're not going to tell me? Like, mm-hmm. I need to figure out what I'm going to do with my life? Okay, I want to I wanna become an architectural engineer. She's like, okay, go do it. So I was like, okay, I like how it is. And then even, like, by my, I would, like, travel a lot by myself since I was, like, 14, 15 with the national shooting team. So my mom wasn't there most of the time. So 
and, and at that age, like 14, 15, you're pretty young. Like you need to um, figure out what's right, what's wrong. But like at a certain age, because of like religion and everything, like you know what's right and what's wrong. So like with what religion tells you, this is right and this is wrong. But then at an age where I become like, let's say my early 20s, um, like 2021, I started questioning everything. I started questioning even my own decisions, even like my own like major that I picked, um, my my religion, my existence, and everything. <laughs> I started questioning everything, and I got like not all of my answers were all of my questions were were answered, but like most of them were answered, and I was like, okay, I like the answers, I like where I'm at, so that gave me those years gave me the confidence to actually trust my gut trust my thought process trust how i uh, make decisions um but sometimes like the life just throws you into like the ocean like into a mess and you just have to like kind of climb your way out of it and just find that enlightenment i guess <laughs> by yourself <laughs> mm. I, I'm curious if you guys feel like Kuwait is a culture that reads, just like reads books. Because no. I, cause I think that is huge. Like if we just get children to read more. And, I, and I'm talking more than just like self-help books. Like no offense, but like I think self-help books, like uh, the, currently I see like a, lot, a huge obsession with it. Like they just tell you what to think too. <laughs> like that's why they're so convenient. <laughs> and like, and I think the beauty of like novels or like fiction and is you're encouraged to see the metaphor. You're encouraged to read between the lines. You're encouraged to... Create your own story. Yeah, and imagine. And, and I think we don't read. We don't read. And, like, I... When I'm, when I'm around my, like... Um, my friends who were educated, like, in the U.S. and things, like, it's amazing to me how much their family reads. Like, they sit around together and read. <laughs> or, like, they... Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I like, got a different level. And, they, <laughs> and it's just, for me, it's mind-boggling. And, and I remember, like, even when I was in elementary school, like, I would, in the U.S., like, someone would show up, like, this girl from my class would be like, oh, I read 100 pages this morning. Like, as a way to show off. And, yeah. and I'm like, wow, like... People here, they, they're like used to show off about how much they read, and like it's, there is this culture of like how well read you are, and like going to someone's home and like you see a library of like novels and books, and you talking about books and recommending books, and and that to me was really foreign, like coming from a culture that here I don't I like I was a bookworm when I was young, but I was seen as like this nerd, <laughs> and like I, and it was not necessarily something that was mainstream at all. And there was like a few people in my class and stuff that also really liked reading. And, but then it was, I don't feel like it was encouraged in a way that was culture, like at a culture level. It's very tricky because you say people um, that were, <laughs> I agree with you in terms of people that were considered educated were the ones that read. But now streams of education are not only from books. Right there, so there are people that are not able to read because they're dyslexic or whatever. They're not able to, um, yeah, read basically. So they're more, they're into maybe their auditory or their kinesthetic or they or the visual. So they like seeing things instead of imagining it. So when it comes to learning, that's why there are podcast now. And when it comes to reading books, um, we're not able to sit and do only one thing now. You know, so multitasking has become something normal. You know, so when I'm reading, I'm listening to music, I'm drinking tea, 
um, something else could be happening. You know, when I'm in the car, I'm, I'm on my phone, I'm listening to music, I'm smoking a cigarette and I'm driving, for example. Yeah. So you see all of these things that are happening simultaneously. So when you tell somebody just sit down and hold only a book, don't do anything for the next 30 minutes. It's like asking them to meditate, which is very hard for a lot of people. I was just going to say it's kind of a it's kind of a meditation. Yeah. I mean, just sitting with yourself and just reading a book, you're literally in a different like environment. You would think that you're in a different space that you created by yourself, which is very beautiful. Um, one of the things that I also encountered when I was in the States, um, I uh, was living um, I was um, for Christmas. I was invited for Christmas um, for my friend's place, and we were having like it was just so family friendly, and everyone was talking about their feelings, which is something that <laughs> is n- not something that happens in a in in a Kuwaiti household. In my household, we don't talk about like feelings. Like if anything happens, you just brush it off and put it under the rug. Um, but sitting with them, like um, my friend's sister, she had like something coming up or like her feel. I don't know what happened. And her mom and dad were just talking about her feelings and how she felt about it and how they're trying to find a solution for her feelings. There's no problem. It's just her feelings. And I was like, wow. Wow. That is, uh, this is new. Um, I've never been, uh, I've never been encountered in something like that. I was like, um, I wish I can bring that with me. <laughs> I want to take that good thing with them and just like, because I mean, I'm like, I'm in my like feelings. I'm just like, yeah, that's not going to happen. all it takes to create space, which is in coaching, they call it space. So when you create a certain environment creating the space it's not about only creating space it's also about holding the space space yeah Yeah. so i think it all starts with one question you know you can literally start with a powerful question you know a perceptual question open-ended question so one question can literally spark a beautiful conversation you know like even when you're in a gathering like i did this experiment with auk five years ago four years ago and we asked them just a bunch of perceptual questions Perceptional questions are questions that are based on your perception in that phase in your life. So if I asked you the same question five years ago, you would have had a completely different answer. For example, what's your biggest fear? What's your biggest accomplishment? What's the coolest thing you've ever done? What's the best advice you've ever received? What would you like, what would you like to tell your mom? What's one thing you'd like to change in this world? What is love? So you see all of these questions are crazy. Right? Yeah. So all of these questions are perceptual questions and you see these people answering them completely differently, which again opens this wave of juice of information, a conversation, whatever you want to call it. Questions. I think questions are very, very powerful, you know, when you sit with some because a lot of people never asked themselves these questions. No. And they're not offensive. So they're not like, why are you asking me this question? But at the same time, they're both curious about the answers. Like, I've never answered this question. Like, for example, go for it. And this, this takes me back to like meeting new people and small talk. You know how much like I, I really, really get irritated by small talk because I want to have a deep conversation. I want to meet someone and talk about like 
the craziest thing they've done or like the questions you're talking about yeah. and and i think it's yeah it's beautiful to to do that i noticed that <laughs> she's the quiet one and she's the type that i'm not really quiet oh yeah <laughs> Small conversation. But I'm an observer. Like I would observe in certain situations. That's why I'm sometimes quiet. Nice. Uh, I don't know who told me about small talk and how it started. And in certain cultures, it's not even available in their language. Yeah, and I don't know if it's Chinese or Japanese. Where if you say, for example, I want to go shopping, you say, I go shopping. Done. You know, like there's not, hey, I'm going shopping and there's like stuff in between, stuff before and after. It's very simple. You know, so it's, it's small talk. Probably Japanese. Like, yeah. Japanese, yeah, probably. Because they seem like that, right? Like they're not saying anything. At the so I don't know. It's very interesting how small talk can be <coughs> somehow comforting. Yesterday I saw an ad that said this, ele- this elevator won't move until you guys talk. Wow. And I skipped the ad and I'm like, no, come back. I want to hear all yeah, about it. Do you know how awkward it is to like actually stand in an elevator with people here in Kuwait? Like, it's everywhere though. It's like a, it's like a universal thing. Elevators are awkward and there's elevator etiquette. You have to look on yeah. the floor or like to look at, the, you shouldn't no like way. stare at faces. Oh. Yeah. I, I, elevator etiquette. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know what to do in the elevator. I go in the elevator, I just look down straight away. Yeah. I was like, I took this class. Really <laughs> And I heard it's somewhat not illegal, but yeah, a lot of friends, <coughs> friend that was Russian, and he said that, and he's this big dude in the military, and he was walking into an elevator, and there was a girl inside Here in, Kuwait. in Kuwait, and her husband literally stopped the guy. Whoa. And he was with her. And it's not like they were going to be together in the elevator. And this dude, he, he was going to like create a program, yeah, create yeah. a problem. Yeah. But my other friend held him and he's like, Kalas, calm down. This is Kuwait. <laughs> like, this is what happens. No, but that's weird. <laughs> that's really weird. It's like, weird because I'm sure, but again, I'm sure a lot of things happened for this to occur. You know, for this, because I'm sure there's a lot of guys in Kuwait that have never been around women in one small environment by themselves. Trust me when I tell you this. Okay, like I'm my cousins, for <laughs> My cousins, no, no, my cousins are strict. You know, my, my family is, uh, are somewhat okay. strict. Yeah. So my cousins, for example, don't sit with my sisters if we're sitting in a family gathering. Oh, wow. My okay. uncle, he's a bit strict, so he comes with his kids. And then when my sisters come into the khema or whatever we're sitting, they leave. So in that case, those people, I wouldn't think it's a good idea to put them in certain environments because they might react in ways where they don't know how, any, how to react, what to do, how would they any, perceive the situation. But like, it's, it's common sense, I mean, to be polite, to be nice. I mean, but they don't have to if they don't want to. Like, I think it's also... I like that. Uh, I think it's also personal space. It's the idea of personal space, which is encouraged like in European countries or like American uh, states or whatever. If, if, if someone is not like if a guy doesn't want to get into the elevator because he's religious or like he he doesn't interact with females, he has the right to do that. Do not come to the elevator with me. You know, like it's an, if I got if I was standing into the elevator, like in front of an elevator and I saw a guy and I felt like I'm, I'm not comfortable going into the elevator with this guy, then it's also my right. So I think it's it's the idea of personal space. And 
and people have the right to do that but if it's if it's it's the line between like whether it's rude or offensive and i don't think that he's being rude to anyone if he doesn't do anything he just didn't walk into the elevator so i i might maybe get offended sometimes if a guy doesn't walk in but if if i'm if i'm respectful of other people's spaces then i should be like okay it's his choice he doesn't have to walk in and I love that. I feel that with like eye contact. I don't know. And like I people staring. <laughs> no, but like, but also when they're speaking directly to you, like I don't know. Let's say I'm like hanging out with my brother, and his friend sees him and like says hi to him. The guy won't look at me like in the face, and <laughs> like literally, like you know, like yeah, eyes down, and like. And I was like exaggerating. I was like, I'm right here. I know I'm right here. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just my Western now socialized mind, but like, I I find it disrespectful. I'm like, hey, I'm here. I'm like, here, yeah. like it's, it's not. If you can look at me, you can talk du- directly to me. I'm not gonna like melt into like water or something. Like, like, I'm like I don't That'll know. That'll be funny. <laughs> and I and I think it's like I don't know. I don't know where that come from. Like I don't know if that's also kind of like a religion conflated with culture thing. Like it's shy. Sometimes they're just shy. Yeah. Like people are shy to especially make eye contact. Okay. I used to work in a place where we never interacted with females. Imagine. So when a female came to our workplace, it's like a gazelle walking in the safaris of Africa. I swear to God, you can see it like. <laughs> so it's not, it's not their fault or our fault to react in certain ways because we're not used to it. Versus somebody who works in a bank or an environment where they're constantly interacting with different genders, different people, different nationalities. It gives them more social stamina, if you want to put it that way. I mean, so what happens, like, in your job, like, women should never walk into, like... No, the they should change a lot like, of things. Women should be operators, which means, yeah, I mean, they work in the field with us, yeah. or just... Because the mentality of the people that work there even, like, play a role too, right? So of they're course. kind of closed-minded too. So it's it's, it's a bigger... Yeah, if we're going to talk about segregation in Kuwait, it's going to be an entire like podcast. Topic, entire <laughs> podcast just for it. Because like, for me right now, I'm like, my mind is blown by the universities that they're doing in Kuwait and it's all segregated. Because mm-hmm. I was working for um, a company that was working for uh, like both the university and the PATE. And both of them are segregated, entirely segregated. And it just, it kills me because those people at the end of the day, they're graduating and they're going to an environment where it's not segregated. How are they gonna, how are gonna interact with other people? How are they gonna um, know how to talk with women or, or, or males or, I don't know, it's going to affect our community in some way, but... <laughs> I think that our community is going somewhere amazing. Me too. I That's think true. that out of a lot of countries in the GCC, Kuwait is killing it. Oh, yeah. In a lot of ways, from expressing ourselves in the way we um, dress, uh, when it comes to creativity, when it comes to the entrepreneurship scene, some of the biggest um, startups were born here in Kuwait. And, it, and having people like you guys um, and the youth and it's up to us like you guys said it's it is up to us Kuwait has always been a pioneer ever since like um, like before before the oil before everything Kuwait has always been pioneering in in something and I'm 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 really happy with what's happening right now like coming back in like 2016 to Kuwait and then coming back again this year I'm just like seeing so many changes and 
I like I really want to be a part of that change. I, I really want to be because at the end of the day, I am from this country. I am Kuwaiti. Um, I want to help the society. I want to help the, the culture. So why not make a community that like would benefit from all of this? Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. So guys, um, I really did not expect us to talk about all of these amazing topics. Allah <laughs> It was a really juicy conversation, especially when it came to elevators. <laughs> we really oh, yeah. dove into elevator etiquette for those Pretty who don't much. know. So we're going to wrap up this um, podcast. Thank you so much, guys, for giving me the time, giving Thank us the time, us. for coming and sharing these. Am- you guys are amazing, amazing minds. Saraha, I love these conversations. Uh, before we wrap it up, is there something um, we didn't cover that you we would like to cover? Is there something? I mean, anything else, just come listen to our podcast. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, trust your gut and trust the process. <laughs> you're going somewhere and you're going to be huge. Just trust yourself. Love That's it. all I'm going to say. <laughs> Um, mine is gonna be it's okay to slow down sometimes and to reflect at your life and uh, take a break and then go back and be awesome again it's okay wow Um, mine is don't appease society at the cost of losing yourself (laughs) you guys are dropping bombs I think it's best to just wrap it up on that note you guys um, catch you guys on their podcast um, how do you spell it again counterculture with a K at the beginning so counter is with a K and culture with a C counterculture look out for it yeah look out for it 2019 is gonna be a good one It's a lot to look this damn good. Cause baby, I feel real good and I wish I would. It's gotta be against the law to look this damn good. Everybody watch out. Watch out now. I'm ready for a good time. And I came to groove. The whole band's here and we came to move. Got a fresh haircut and two new shoes. We're here all night like we got nothing to lose. Coming out the jacket cause we're turning up the heat I wanna see you clapping when you get up out your seat It's time to make it happen when we hit these streets I'm coming in hot and I can't be beat Watch out now Baby, watch out now Watch out Get up out your seat. It's time to make it happen when we hit these streets. I'm coming in hot and I can't 
Watch out. 